welcome to the most useful info podcast. Uh, I'm Tim, and I'm here with Keith, and we're going to talk about the book of Valis by Philip K. Dick. Uh, how's it going, Keith? Pretty good. Just flipping through Valis, trying to remember it. Sweet. Um, now that I've said that intro, we can just talk like normal friends again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um yeah, I re- I started this book I think in 2002 or 2003 and I got 40 pages in and then gave up cuz I was like I don't understand any of this. Yeah. Um and then this time when I started it um the like first chapter or something, I was like mm-hmm. oh, I understand this. I don't know why I thought this was so hard. Um and then and then I got to like my bookmark was still in it from when I read it the first time, and the page before I quit has like like this sentence or sentences: two realms there are, upper and lower. The upper derived from hyper universe one or Yang form one of Paramedes is sentient and volitional. The lower realm, or yin, form two of Paramedes is mechanical, driven by blind, efficient cause, deterministic and without intelligence, since it emanates from a dead source. In ancient times, it was termed astral determinism. We are trapped by and large in the lower realm, but are, through the sacraments by means of the plasmate, extricated until astral determinism is broken. We are not even aware of it, so occluded are we. The empire never ended. When I was like, oh, I know exactly why I quit reading this book. <laughs> There's some stuff in the beginning that would get repeated later on, and like each time it would get repeated, I'd understand it less. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I guess this is one of the last things he wrote. Um, yeah. And I, I don't know too much about his biography or whatever, but I get the sense he was kind of going a little crazy maybe (laughs) yeah yeah I don't know I feel like I heard like I think he says he had visions when I was like a early teen Philip K. Dick was basically my favorite author and I feel like I remember reading something on the internet back then that was like that's like and like an anecdote he told or something where he like saw God or something but yeah um, but I don't totally remember that. It was a long time ago. <clears throat> totally. I read Flow My Tears, The Policeman Said, and Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep in high school. And I thought they were both great. I think I had just seen Blade Runner, so it kind of let the book kind of let me down. Yeah. I don't remember loving the book, but it's still probably one of my favorite movies. Yeah, totally. Um, I just rewatched it recently, actually. I watched it. The last time I watched it was like when that like crappy, um, whatever Ryan Gosling. Oh yeah, yeah. Sequel came out. I watched the just the, I like before watching that that new one. I watched the original and then I watched the new one and <laughs> I didn't like it. I don't know. Yeah, totally. I really wanted to like it. I don't think I like that director. No, I don't think I do either. I think he's kind of, I think, I think his movies look cool. Um, and that's it. Yeah. I rewatched Dune and I really wanted to like it. Like I was like, maybe I was just, and I watched it after watching the David Lynch one, which is bad, but it's like a lot more fun. Yeah. I thought that Dune was just sort of like pretty and, way too long like it was boring I did like Arrival from that director with oh I yeah I didn't really like that I used to mix up I I just found out that I mixed up Amy Adams and fuck another actor anyway this isn't great uh radio (laughs) (laughs) no it's perfect the the first time I ever heard of Philip K. Dick was Jared and I went to see the movie Imposter with like maybe Gary Sinise or something. 
stars in I've it. I've never heard of that. It, it's it, like it's based on a Philip K. Dick short story. And uh-huh. after Jared and I saw it, I'm pretty sure it was both of our favorite movies that we'd ever seen. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I think it has like a like a 20% on Rotten Tomatoes or something. I don't <laughs> think it's like a well-respected movie. But and then and then uh, uh, that Tom Cruise Minority Report came out shortly after. And so I oh, remember yeah, I, bu- I forgot that Sam. Yeah, I bought a book of short stories with Minority Report in it, and Jared bought a book of short stories with Imposter in it. Um, oh, cool. And, yeah, and then I just read a bunch of Philip K. Dick after, after that. Yeah, I've um, always meant to read more. Actually, a coworker gave me a book of his, and I just lost it. <laughs> I have a memory of loaning a book to someone in high school, a Philip K. Dick book, and never getting it back and always kind of resenting it. And then, um, I don't know, it's on my bookshelf now. And I, I like, I don't know how it got there. Cause I'm like <laughs> certain that I, I loaned it to Lauren Erdman in like 10th grade or something and never got it back. But I gave a bunch of people comics to borrow before I moved from Seattle and then just never got them back. Every once in a while I think about it, it's like still bothers me. <laughs> Yeah, I have, um, there's like a, a Brett Easton Ellis book that I liked in high school that I don't remember loaning to anyone ever, but I don't, like I lost, like I I don't know where it's at. It just disappeared. It's like someone snuck into my house and stole it. Probably. <laughs> yeah. One time I heard Saul say that you should never loan a book to someone that you're not okay giving them. Yeah, I've kind of thought about that, too. <laughs> yeah, I think it's good advice. Yeah. Um, um, so, Valis. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I feel like the plot is basically horse lover fat has a friend who is suicidal, and he tries to save her and doesn't, and it kind of weighs on him, and so he starts to lose his mind a little bit and then he has this vision of God which is like a, a pink laser beam entering his forehead uh, like a beam of information or something that kind of like unlocks his memory and all of a sudden he remembers that he's simultaneously alive in California in the 1970s and in like um, the Roman Empire in like 70 AD or something like that and yeah. also like a future version of himself. And so he kind of realizes that he exists across space and time or space and time are kind of illusions. Um, and then I and feel like, like that okay. he thinks the Roman times is what's real and everything since then is fake or something. Yeah, I can't, that seems right. He also sees like, some, I can't remember who, but someone's wearing like a necklace and it has like a Jesus fish on it. And that also maybe like unlocks his memory because he thinks he's like a secret Christian being persecuted by Romans. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I feel like most of the book is him like explaining this to his friends and trying to understand it and his friends like go along with him and also try to understand his experience, like, mystical experience or something like that. Yeah. It Um, feels like, to me, like, he'd read so much about religion and all this stuff that, like, when he went crazy, there was just so much there to go on, you know? Yeah. Because it does sound like schizophrenia, a lot of it, to me, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, a lot of the, maybe especially the sort of paranoia or like the conspiracy, conspiracy, I don't know, conspiracy thinking or whatever. Yeah. Because he thinks like a future self or like an alien self or maybe just like an alien being like came and sort of like got Richard Nixon out of the presidency. And was that in the and, movie? 
Yeah, but I think they thought it in real life too. Oh, okay. Um, but the whole movie. So like, yeah, I don't know. It's, assuming people are listening to this, like he he and his friends go to see this movie, and it's a bizarre movie that sort of has elements of the main characters, like religious ex- visions and experiences in the movie. And so they they then try to uncode the movie to yeah. figure out, like to figure out horse lover Fat's like own experience. And I feel like that sort of like decoding a movie feels sort of um, paranoid schizophrenic thinking a little bit. Yeah, um, just but the then scene. it turns out they're all right about it, or <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, did do you know Philip K. Dick had schizophrenia? I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't either. I don't uh, know if he it's... like went to someone and had it diagnosed as that, you know? Yeah. Um, I assume he did a lot of hallucinogenic yeah totally uh, based on his book Uh, I guess it's also worth mentioning there's the the character the protagonist is like horse lover fat but then also there's a narrator who's named Philip K. Dick and yeah it becomes clear that they're the same person but then at the end they kind of see I don't know like they, they meet a little girl who's sort of like the reincarnation of Jesus and he sort of or she sort of like unifies him temporarily at least yeah because I remember it goes back to being split later near the end yeah yeah it's a wild book (laughs) yeah totally there are like certain chapters where I was really into it and and then the next chapter would just be incomprehensible. Yeah, exactly. That makes it kind of frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like towards the end it got a little, or like there was a section near the end where they like, after they see the movie, I thought there was like sustained plot development for a few chapters. Yeah, when they go up and meet Mother Goose. Yeah. Is Mother Goose the filmmaker? Yeah, the musician who made the movie. Yeah. What what did you think of those two? Because, like, I couldn't get a reading of them, but it seemed like the characters thought they were, like, crazy in kind of, like, a dangerous way or something. Yeah, I can't remember why they left, but it seems like they were all on board and, like, happy to find these people who were on the same page about the universe and then and they're like no these people are insane we have to leave (laughs) yeah which like reading that was like funny because it's like no you guys are insane yeah (laughs) Uh, I read the Wikipedia said that they were based on Brian Eno and Eric Clapton the the mother goose is yeah Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. Despite being super weird, I I did think the book was kind of funny. I don't know if it was supposed to be or not. But I feel like, like it was. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like it was too. Which is weird that... I don't know. The whole thing of writing about himself as a character and then being the character of the narrator was interesting. Like, I feel like he could make jokes about it because of that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, he was, like, self-aware that things sounded wild, you know? Yeah. It is kind of like, I don't know, like, he's writing about his own experience, but making, like, a novel out of it and kind of making some jokes about it, like, makes sense like well no he says this a little bit it, like forces him to have distance from the experience yeah. so he he can kind of like it's almost like he's trying to parse out what's real and what's not something 
it's interesting he had the whole his exegesis or whatever, however that's pronounced. Yeah, I don't know. And and then he still wanted to write a novel about it, you know? Yeah, I wonder. Yeah, you mean like the 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 actual journals or whatever that the real Philip K. Dick kept? Yeah, like yeah. if he's doing it like the straight shit, you know, from there, why would he want to like muddy it up with a fictional version, you know? Yeah. I wonder, like, I wonder if it's just like, if you wanted to share it with people, a novel is like a more like digestible way to do it. That's true. <laughs> Rather than like his, his maybe kind of like rambling journals. Yeah. Um, uh, but I don't, I don't know because like it's pretty hard to like, so the character horse lover fat like keeps these journals that he calls his exegesis and it's kind of like where he lays out his like theology or whatever. And I uh-huh. guess the real Philip K. Dick did one of those himself. Um, but like those sections like don't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. So uh like do you do you have a sense of like what the philosophy or theology even is? No, not really. Sometimes while yeah. reading it, it would make sense, but not anything that stuck with me. Yeah. Like, it seems like, like, he's like, this is the hard evidence, and then it's just like, this seems to just be you making statements, you know? Yeah. Does your copy have, like, the whole, like, the whole, um, what would you call it? Yeah, kind of like Horse Lover Fat's entire exegesis at the end. With like all the fifty-two different points or whatever. Yeah, honestly, I can't remember if I read them or not. I think I did. I did, but I feel like it, I feel like at the time when I was reading, I was like, okay, now this is like this makes some sense. But when they're just sort of spliced throughout the narrative, like out of context, I just feel like it. I mean, like what I read at the start that I think made me quit reading as a teenager was like one of the exegesis is about yin and yang and it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, It it does make me want to read more of his fiction though. Yeah, without really understanding most of the book, I still thought it was kind of fun to read. Yeah, totally. Um, also, like, I feel like, I mean, I ha- it's been like a couple weeks since I finished it, and when I was in it, I do feel like I got kind of into this mindset where certain things would make sense, and I'd like, I'd like wake up in the morning and I'd be like, like, Aiden, doesn't it make total sense that if during communion the blood or like the wine turns to blood? and the the wafer turns to the body that the priest would literally turn into Jesus Christ. Doesn't that make sense? And <laughs> she'd be like, no, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> but like, <laughs> I don't know, that was in the book. And I was like, oh yeah, that does make sense to me right now while I'm reading this. <laughs> yeah. So I guess I like kind of got into it, but but for me, there'd be just like moments where I'd be following that logic and be like, okay, yeah, I get that. Um, but I don't, I have like no idea the contours of like his actual beliefs or whatever. Yeah. I'd have to read it a second time, like really slowly. And I don't think I care enough. Yeah, I, def- I definitely don't. I'd be more inclined to read, um, I guess he had like two other books, like a trilogy, a valid oh, trilogy. Yeah. I'd be more inclined to read the other ones and hope that things are like refined or clarified or something. Yeah. But I really did like uh, reading it. For me, it was very nostalgic. Um, Because even though I didn't finish the book as a a kid, I I don't know. I was obsessed with Philip K. Dick at that time and it was like taking me back. Yeah, totally. I thought like... 
I don't know, a couple months ago, I read this book by like a French philosopher about um, the internet, basically. And he was kind of like, he did this thought experiment where like, what if in the future, like everything that we do or say or think is just like automatically archived into the internet. And so then we can like access our entire lives at, at any moment and other people could access our lives at at any moment because um, huh. like a lot of our life is already like these days with like YouTube or social media or whatever people record tons of their life and put it on the internet and this guy was like well what if it goes further and we just record like like everything is just automatically recorded somehow and I feel like horse lover fats like mystic religious experience where like a pink laser of information like enters his head and all of a sudden he has access to memories and lives that he had forgotten was mm-hmm. kind of like this guy's vision of the future of the internet like because uh, huh. like the internet is obviously just information that people can access and horse lover fat is just like shot full of information that all of a sudden he accesses and all of a sudden he can like reach into memories from ancient Rome and and stuff. I don't know. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I thought it was funny that pink laser beam was called zebra. <laughs> I, I feel like there was some some like explanation, but I can't remember now. Yeah, yeah. Some white zebra made the most sense. And I'm sure when I read it, I was like, "Yeah, zebra does make the most sense." But <laughs> and then I'm just flipping through, but when they like mail their thing to Mother Goose, and then he like mails back something then they just write King Felix and that's like that's like the code word they had figured out somehow yeah yeah I don't know I, thought, I don't have anything yeah. to say about it <laughs> um, I actually just randomly flipped to the explanation for zebra um, oh okay which I, I don't even have it marked so it is lucky but I'm going to say it. Normally it remained camouflage. Normally when it appeared to no it appeared, no one could distinguish it from ground set to ground. As Fat correctly expressed it, he had a name for it, Zebra, because it blended. The same for the name for this is Mimesis. Another name is mimicry. Certain insects do this. They mimic other things. Sometimes other insects, poisonous ones, or twigs or the like. Certain biologists and naturalists have speculated that higher forms of mimicry might exist, since lower forms, which is to say forms which fool those intended to be fooled but not us, have been found all over the world. So it's called zebra because it blends. (laughs) Yeah. I just am at the part where it's talking about Felix, but it was the Mother Goose wrote King and then he wrote Felix next to it and mailed it back. Yeah. King Felix is the fifth savior, savior who Zebra or Valis had said was either already born or would soon be. So was King Felix the little girl? Must have been. Yeah, so like the fifth whatever, it's like fifth savior. He has like like Jesus being one of the saviors. There's like historically all these different saviors or something. Yeah. Yeah. I um or like the savior never dies and he just takes different earthly forms, I think. Yeah. Um, that sounds familiar. Yeah, and so like the little girl is just the new earthly form of King Felix. Um, but also the little girl gets killed by one of her followers. And didn't I think Eric, that might... Didn't Eric Clapton's daughter get killed? 
Yeah, that's true. Um, I don't know. That's really funny. yeah. I, that's yeah. It's funny if if Mother Goose was based on Eric Clapton. I think yeah. I, Mother Goose is like sound guy, the guy that did the sound for the movies. I think accidentally shot the the little girl. Um, I think Eric Clapton's daughter like fell out a window or something. That's right. And the sound guy is supposed to be Brian Eno. Oh, right. So it's like Mother Goose is Eric Clapton and the sound guy is Brian Eno. That, yeah. That makes more sense. This, the sound guy being Brian Eno makes sense to me. Yeah, totally. Do you, Did Eric Clapton and Brian Eno like work together? I feel like no, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I'm just going to look it up right now. They're not like like I don't associate Eric Clapton with Brian, you know. Me neither. Oh no. The fictionalized version of David Bowie name derives from Eric Clapton. So is Mother Goose supposed to be David Bowie? Yeah. Well that changes everything. Yeah, the Wikipedia describes horse lover fat as a schizophrenic modality of Phil himself. Okay. I'm curious if he was diagnosed as schizophrenic or not. Yeah, I think I read somewhere, it might have just been a review or something, someone referred to horse lover fat as like an altar for Philip K. Dick, which I think is kind of the language used for like disassociative identity disorder. Hmm. Like if someone has like multiple personalities, like there's sort of like a, they're like alters of each other, A-L-T-E-R, not not like a holy altar. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, So I, 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 I would believe Philip Dick had schizophrenia maybe more quickly than uh, disassociative identity disorder, but I yeah. don't really know either. <clears throat> this did kind of make me want to read like a biography of Philip Dick to see how much of this was like him and how yeah. much was fictionalized. Totally. Because um, another thing that kind of causes his mental break is like his divorce um, oh yeah and it says somewhere like like pretty early on like um that he wasn't so much sad about losing his wife as he was like scared for the safety of his son um and thought that like he also wouldn't have, like <clears throat> wouldn't have access to his son anymore and it's like, he says, like, it's one of the only true things he says. The psych tech said, we'll talk to you outside after we've made our decision. Fat said, I miss my son. No one looked at him. I thought Beth might hurt Christopher, Fat said. That was the only true statement he had made since entering the room. He had tried to kill himself, not so much because Beth had left him, but because with her living elsewhere, he could not look after his little son. Huh. Um, which I actually, I like checkmarked it because I, I thought it was kind of moving. <laughs> and yeah. I thought it was interesting that it was like, he said it was the only true statement he had made. Um, I don't know. So it's like he, his like inability to care for someone he loved kind of pushes him over the edge. And I mean, that happens with Grace too. Like, the friend who uh, commits suicide at the beginning. He, like, wants to kill yeah, her, yeah. but he's unable to, and it kind of sets him off. His sense of self or something is sort of tied up in his ability to care for other people, and when that falls into question or something, or he, like, is confronted with his inability to take care for other people, he kind of loses himself a little bit. 
Yeah, totally. And keeps doing it throughout the book. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if I have much more to say on it. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. Like, I mean, I feel like the book is, I don't know, jargony as this is done pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Um, you said you read like Blow My Tears, The Policeman. How does that, I haven't read that one. How does it, comp- is it more like this or is it more like Blade no. Runner? Um, maybe kind of in between the two because it's not like about him at all. It's just characters, you know? Yeah. But I don't know. It's been like 15 years since I read it. But I remember just really liking it. It was the only Philip K. Dick book the library had. Um, oh, yeah. But it's like some actor goes into another reality. But I can't remember what's so different about because he's like already in the sci-fi reality at the start of the book, but then he goes into this other one. Yeah. I think my favorite is the only one I've read out of high school, which was um, The Man in the High Castle. Oh, yeah. I haven't read that since high school. I, like, other than the premise, I, like, barely remember it. I just remember it was, like, uh, this author is writing stories about, like, what if the Allies won World War Two, But it's when, like, his version of it is nothing like ours. Yeah. I remember there's something being about, like, the I Ching. Like, oh, that's right. Everyone did something with that. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. And I think I read Philip K. Dick, like, wrote that book using the I Ching of, like, guiding him or something. Oh, I've heard like, he did that, but I didn't know which book it was. From. I think I think it was that one. Uh, could be wrong. Yeah, it's I, the only Philip K. Dick I read out, out of high school is like Solar Lottery, um, which like a friend just was like getting rid of some books and I took it. And it's like not that memorable, but it was oh, fun. Yeah. <laughs> Someone gave me Dr. Blood Money and that's the one I misplaced, but that's a great uh, name. Yeah, that's, I saw that one, I think, at a bookstore recently. Oh, uh, yeah. I'd never heard of it, but it's a cool title. Yeah, totally. Um, what do you think is the best Philip K. Dick movie adaptation? Total Recall. That's what I thought you were going to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only one that, like, stays good throughout the whole movie. Yeah, you don't think Blade Runner does? Oh. Well, that one's so far removed. Actually, it's not like I've read the Total Recall book, but it seems, it feels more like... Yeah, I probably do like Blade Runner more, but it's just so different from the book. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. Like, Total Recall feels like a Philip K. Dick story. And yeah. I, I like I mean I, I just don't think Blade Runner does as much. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of stuff I didn't pick up on until like all the stuff about animals in Blade Runner. Yeah. Like the first few times I saw it I never thought about it, but then remembering the book, I was like, oh yeah, that was a big plot point. It's like so many animals are extinct. Yeah. I mean, the thing with, I can watch Blade Runner like endlessly. So that one has to be my favorite, but Total Recall is really good too. Yeah. I started following this person on um, Letterboxd who kind of writes like a lot of like leftist politics are like part of her reviews and she didn't like uh Blade Runner at all which is kind of interesting I've never once like considered the politics of Blade Runner (laughs) the movie yeah all I remember from the review is like 
it seems good to people who haven't seen good movies or something like that. Oh. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Hasn't changed my mind, but it's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I can be objective. Like, I would believe Blade Runner is, like, not a good movie or whatever, but I, I, I just watched it when I was impressionable, and it's, like, stayed with me, so. I feel like I had this realization in my early 20s, like, I was always like, I love that movie, but I feel like I'm missing, like, why it's cool. But the why is just because it looks really good. Like, that's the biggest reason why it's a good movie, you know? Yeah. Or why it's a, why I'm drawn to it. It just looks really cool, and I feel like that hasn't changed. It, yeah. I also think, like, I mean, looking cool is part of it, but there's, like, it's just, like, very atmospheric, and it's, like, uh, an atmosphere I enjoy being in, I guess, for two hours or whatever. Yeah, and like, I feel like Roy Batty is the best character. Yeah, easily. Like, in realizing that makes it make more sense, too. Yeah. I mean, I remember, like, when I first saw it, I was like, ooh, what does it mean to be human? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And I guess I still kind of think that question's interesting, but I don't know. I don't know if I still think Blade Runner's like handling of it is interesting or not. But yeah, totally. <laughs> but that's definitely what like hooked me as a kid. You know? Oh yeah. I haven't seen it in a few years, though. So. <clears throat> um, did you see the the? We already talked about it, but did you see that Ryan Gosling one? Yeah, a couple of times. You know, do you know what I, I did too? I saw it twice in the theater, and I didn't like it either time. <laughs> yeah, that was during movie pass time, so. Oh yeah. I would. Yeah, I think I For went me, to I, a, a theater that didn't take movie pass and saw it, and then saw it with movie pass too. Okay, for me, that was when I was just living across the street from a movie theater in Oswego. Oh, yeah. So, like, I would just, like, go to a movie. (laughs) I saw so many bad movies there. But um, like in the first Blade Runner, the thing that kind of, like, that they say separates sort of, like, humans from androids is, like, memories. Like, humans have, like, real memories and androids have implanted memories that were generated externally or elsewhere or whatever. And then yeah. in that Ryan in that Ryan Gosling one, the thing that distinguishes a human from an android is whether or not it's born from a woman, which seems like like gender essentialist in a way that like like out of touch with the times or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I thought it was. Did that, I thought it was. I wonder. If that, I don't know. Did that movie do well? I, you know, I, I don't know, but I think I read that they're like making, if they're gonna make like a TV, like a Blade Runner TV show with like Ridley Scott or something, and yeah. so it must have done well enough. I'm gonna look it up. Yeah. Yeah, it made $267 million on a budget of $150 million. That seems pretty yeah. good. Yeah. I mean, I, and they gave the guy Dune after that, so he must have felt proud. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I, the, like, like, I feel like the first half of that movie was fine, but then, like, when Ryan Gosling, like, goes back to, like, his school or whatever, and then he finds, like, a little horse or something in a furnace, uh, from that moment on, it just becomes, like, a puzzle that he has to solve, and then he, like, solves the puzzle, and then the movie's over. <laughs> and I just felt like yeah. that seemed kind of antithetical to the spirit of the first movie. <laughs> yeah, and also I thought... Like, I guess you kind of have to have Harrison Ford in it if he'll do it, but I think it just, like, wasn't written that well, all all the scenes with him. Yeah. Like, they 
I don't know. It just didn't work, which is too bad. Yeah. I wish they'd kind of left it alone, but whatever. Yeah. And it's like, of course, the... Well, I can't remember what her name is in the movie. Yeah, so the the Andrew, is it Rachel from the first movie? Rachel. Of course she's dead and he's still alive, you know? <laughs> yeah. They could have, I don't know, they could have done anything. Sean Young's character, yeah. Yeah. But she had to, didn't she have to, like, because she was an android, didn't, did she have to die? Like, did she have, like, a oh a time oh, limit did on she her have life? The, for some reason, I just thought, since she was so different from the other ones, that she didn't have the limit, but that doesn't make sense. You're probably right. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. They, I don't think they ever, like, turn to the camera and say, like, she has a four-year life limit or anything. Yeah. But I guess I would assume she did. Yeah, that does make sense, actually. But they still don't need Harrison Ford alive. Like, the daughter could survive. Because, like, their daughter is, like, a major plot point or something. You could still have her, and you just don't need Harrison Ford. Yeah. Actually, there's, like, nothing about the plot of that movie that I like. Yeah, me either. Like, I feel like the first half of it was sort of just, like, establishing the the world or whatever that they were in. And, yeah. And Ryan Gosling was sort of, like, a, a distant, like, quiet narrator. And I was like, sure, I can get into this. But then, like, like I, I feel like there was, like, a moment where, like, okay, plot time. And and yeah. did the whole plot, and I was like, "This is stupid. I don't, I don't care about this." It was one of oh. the original writers of the first one who wrote but not it. Dan O'Bannon. He Dan O'Bannon didn't have anything to do with it. I don't think. Oh really? I thought he wrote the screenplay for the first Blade Runner. No, it was David Peoples and Hampton Fancher, and Hampton Fancher co-wrote the new one. Uh, Did you ever see um, that movie Soldier with Kurt Russell? No, I haven't seen it. That was written by David Peoples, and he said, like, he kind of thought of it as a sequel to Blade Runner. Oh, I... Yeah, I re- I read the Wikipedia page for Soldier and read about it. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because I all my like all my life I thought Dan O'Bannon was involved in Blade Runner. Um, I think the thing is that people say that they were inspired by that Dan O'Bannon and Mobius comic. Yeah, I'm sure that's where I got confused. Yeah. Was Dan O'Bannon involved in any Ridley Scott movie? Alien. Okay. That, he yeah. wrote the script for Alien. Okay. Um, what are you reading now? Um, I'm reading a book called The Ice Palace by a Norwegian guy named Tari I. Vestas. Huh. Um, Bethany and I are going to record a thing about it. She, Who? She asked Bethany Leach. Oh, cool. Yeah, uh, she suggested it, and I'd actually read it already. Um, so I just was rereading it, and I'll finish it in the morning. Uh, what are you reading? I just finished reading, do you know Jim Thompson? He's like a yeah. crime writer. Yeah, yeah, I just read The Getaway by him, which was pretty good. I don't know how much I like him. I like want to like him a lot because it sounds exactly like the kind of stuff I want to read but the two I've read have been like pretty good I don't know but yeah um, and then I I've think just, I have a copy of the getaway but I haven't re- I've never read anything by him yeah I read um after dark my sweet and that one was pretty good it was about like a kidnapping and and like 
this ex-boxer who just broke out of a mental institution. Oh, that sounds cool. Yeah. And then I'm about to start, do you remember those Jacques Tardy crime comics? That yeah. Graphics? Yeah. I finally got a book, like one of the ones that he adapted into a comic. It was my favorite one. Uh, the book's called Three to Kill, but the comic was translated as West Coast Blues. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know that comic. Yeah, so I'm finally reading the book. I actually watched uh, Alain Delon. I don't know how you pronounce that guy's name, but that, like, 60s yeah. French movie star. He was in, like, an adaptation of it that the library had. And I was like, I oh, should really cool. just read this book, finally. And Bruce Books had it. So that's what I'm going to start next. Nice. Um, yeah. Have you seen Alon Alan Delon or whatever his name is? He's in a... He's in, he plays Ripley, I think. In a Patricia oh, Heisman I didn't know that. That's cool. I, th- I think it's called Purple Moon, the one he's in. Okay. That's cool. I'd love to see yeah. that. My yeah. mom got me a bunch of movies from the dollar store for Christmas. Oh, and nice. one of them was just an Alain Delon, like, kind of thriller from the 70s, which is really surprising. <laughs> that's, that's cool. Yeah. So, it's and then the library. The dollar store thing. even had that. I know. It was very strange. There was some, um, some other weird stuff. And then a lot of bad horror movies. Uh. Have you have you read or heard of In a Lonely Place? I've read it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I read okay. it this I was winter, gonna, actually. I was going to recommend it uh, if you hadn't. It's a good crime novel. Totally. Yeah, that was great. I think I watched it, or watched it, read it, like, last winter. Oh, okay. But uh, then this summer I read Ride the Pink Horse, also by her and that one was great oh i haven't read that one i read one called the expendable man which was i I read that was that one i read first i liked that one a lot yeah i the in a lonely place is my favorite it reminds me of like the ripley books because there's this weird sort of like a male obsession or desire or whatever i don't know yeah Um, and he's kind of like trying to become that guy yeah, exactly. Like he's he's a like yeah. He tries to become that guy, which is a pretty like Ripley thing. Um, I want to read more Ripley books. I want to read more Patricia Highsmith, but I don't know when I'll get to it. Yeah, me too. I I want to read the Ripley books in order or whatever. So every time I go to a used bookstore, they have like the third Ripley book, and it's like I want the second one. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it matters, like to read them. I think it kind of does. Because okay. the first one, he's, like, not... Or I read the first one, and he's, like, not... He kind of becomes the Ripley character throughout it, you know? Yeah, yeah. But I don't know if beyond that, they all kind of... I don't know if they go as chronologically past that. But, yeah, I've only read the first one. Yeah, me too. Um, have you have you read Strangers on a Train by her? No, I haven't. Oh, that Actually, one's think... good, too. I think that's the only Patricia Highsmith book I've read. Okay. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if Bruce Book had a copy of Strangers on a Train. That's true. Uh, I saw part of that movie with my grandpa when I was a kid, but didn't finish it. Oh, I never saw the movie. Um, Last time I was at Bruce Book, I got two Patricia Highsmith books. Oh, yeah. They're both short stories. One of them... Like it's called like Little Tales of Misogyny or something like that, and huh. then the other the other one's like um, murderous the Re- book of murderous revenge for animal lovers or something. I, <laughs> I'm getting I'm getting those titles wrong, but it, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes like the last time I went to Bruce Books, I I don't know I spent a bunch of money and I was like can't believe Bruce Books has all these things that I like and wanted. And then I started wondering if, like, my taste was actually sort of, like, formed by what Bruce Books had. 
<laughs> you know, because like I've been going there my whole life to buy books, and so like yeah. what I read growing up was kind of uh, limited to like what Bruce books or book people had in stock, and so then I was like, I wonder if it's like not a coincidence that when I go to Bruce books, I find a ton of stuff I like because they're responsible for like what I like. I don't. Know. I've thought about that because I got so many like. 80s European comics from book people and like that's yeah when I'm in a bookstore now like I'm like looking for that stuff yeah kind of like post Mobius post uh heavy metal yeah I just like moved all of my comics they like onto one single shelf and I have like a Christian Bilal comic that I got at book people Oh yeah, he's so great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's I do think I don't know. It's not I don't wanna like pretend like the past was so great or whatever. But I thought a lot about how like what I know and like culturally at least, like books and music, was like pretty limited. To like what I had access to in Moscow, which was like yeah. not a not a lot, you know, like totally. um, and and now I like, I mean, I can access basically most music that exists just through like opening an app on my phone. Uh, totally. And I feel like I I don't know. It's I guess it's different. I don't know. I don't know that it's better. Like. I don't know how to find new music anymore because I literally have like all the music in the world available to me. And it's like how yeah. you sift through that. Uh-huh. I feel like once a year I'll get really into finding music and I don't know how it starts and I don't know and I don't remember it afterwards. But then it's like, oh, these are the 10 albums I'm going to listen to for a year. I use like end of best of 2022 lists or whatever and then just like pick a few and, and it's kind of the same like okay these are the albums I listened to them like a year late and these are the albums yeah, that I yeah. listen to now totally um, but I guess another thing is YouTube recommendations yeah is a big part of how I learn about new stuff now which is kind <laughs> of sad <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've been doing that for a long time. I mean, that's how I, I think I learned about the nerves. Oh, really? I think so. That's cool. I can't even remember how I heard about them. I don't remember my life before I heard about the nerves. <laughs> <laughs> I probably told you. I learned about that's it from true. YouTube. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's probably true. Yeah. Have you heard this band? I just learned, speaking of learning about new music, have you heard this band Giant Swans or Giant Swan? S-W-A-N? Yeah. No. Oh, it's like a, it's, I think it's techno. I mean, I don't know, like, Apple Music has a list of this techno. Uh, okay. I, w- I would recommend it. Um, okay, I'll check it out. I was listening to this song, 55-Year-Old Daughter, while driving to work today. Thought it was pretty good. Cool. Giant Swan. Yeah. yeah. I'm just gonna type that into YouTube and keep it open, and then I'll probably get a bunch of recommendations now. I feel like I'm trying to get in. I don't listen to a ton of music lately, but trying to get into techno, and I feel like as a kid I would go to Hastings and go to the techno section and then I would just have to buy an album from there. Yeah. And hopefully I will have heard of it. Now it's like I have access to every techno album ever. How am I supposed to fucking know what what's good <laughs> what to listen to? When I got obsessed with drum and bass, I just followed a bunch of like YouTube channels of people uploading their vinyl. Oh yeah. So, so there's like lots of drum and bass that has never been officially released outside of like electronically, you know? 
And so yeah. literally the only way to listen to it is some weird British guy's obsessive YouTube channel, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. So, like, what's the difference between drum and bass and, like, techno or house? Drum and bass is faster, and it okay. uses a lot of breakbeats. Like, okay. you know, snippets of drums from, like, 70s funk records or whatever. Yeah. And then they'll chop them up to make them sound, like, totally alien. Okay. Cool. But they kind of diverge. Uh, although nowadays drum and bass doesn't use breakbeats as much. It kind of turned into this weird, like, aggressive, industrial, poppy kind of thing. But originally okay. it was like, yeah. I wonder if Giant Swan might be drum and bass then. It's, like, kind of aggressive. but A lot of techno is pretty aggressive, too. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it's just techno. I don't know. Like, I, I'm gonna... I don't... I don't know these distinctions. Uh, I'm not super smart about it, but Giant Swan does not have a Wikipedia page. <laughs> they're too cool for that. Damn. <laughs> no, I, I don't know anything <laughs> about them. <laughs> I think they're British. Dance Electronic is what... Um, is what Google says. Okay. But yeah, would, I'll listen to that. Wouldn't dance electronic also encompany, like, wouldn't house also be dance electronic? Yeah. On their band camp, it says electronic punk techno. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Sick. I've been listening to a lot of movie soundtracks recently. I got Those really into Philip Glass again. Oh, yeah. He's, he's great. I love sort of, like, I can see getting into music soundtracks just because I really like that sort of, like, ambient, I don't know, I guess ambient music. Um, yeah. So. I watched this movie, The Piano, last night, which was, pretty good kind of creepy overall uh but the soundtrack is really good and it's by someone named michael Nyman, who i've heard of huh. so madman? I just downloaded... what madman no michael um nyman and why oh okay. yeah sorry yeah and then the, have you ever seen Candyman? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Philip Glass did the soundtrack for that, and it's so good. It's like my favorite thing of his. <laughs> I didn't realize he did the soundtrack. I'll have to listen to that. Yeah. I have had it on hold for like three months at the library. I think someone just like lost it and never returned it. I think I've only seen that movie once, but it's great. I think I've, I've seen it once, maybe twice. It's really good. Yeah. It's another one they remade, and I doubt the remake is, like, as cool or weird as the, the original. The copy that the library supposedly had was, like, the remake and the original. Uh, it's funny they didn't include any of the sequels. <laughs> there was, like, Candyman 2 and 3. And Philip Glass did the soundtrack for the second one, but I can't find that anywhere. Uh, huh. I didn't know he was involved in those. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, I'd think he was, like, too... I don't... Maybe, like... No, I definitely would think he was too famous to be doing... Like, Candyman's kind of a low-budget thing. I don't know. I read somewhere, probably on Wikipedia, he said, like, that's a big thing for him and he still makes money off of it every year that soundtrack huh. oh that's cool yeah I just watched what... The Illusionist which wasn't that good but he did the soundtrack to that oh yeah I remember that movie why didn't we make a song that we could make money off of every year what 
Why didn't we ever make a song we could make money off of every year for the rest I know. of our lives? <laughs> I didn't know that was an option. <laughs> yeah. We should have gotten into movie soundtracks. <laughs> God, anything besides being in a rock band, as far as music goes, is so difficult for me. Like, I've been trying to make electronic music for like a couple of years now, and I'm not too happy with any of it. Oh, I like what you sent me. I know they're just oh, like pieces, but they sound cool. The more I try to make them into songs, the like worse they sound, I feel. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a musician, but I I feel like I understand the structure of a pop song. And I'm pretty new to like electronic or techno music, but I don't understand the song, like the structure. Like I don't understand like how they decide when it ends and, and stuff like that. I don't know. Drum and bass, I kind of feel like I do, but... Drum and bass is tough. It's like, it almost feels like the prog of dance music or something. Oh, yeah. Because it's like way more open, but then there are like kind of rigid genre structures. It's just kind of like really weird thing. I read this interview with Goldie, who's one of the big drum and bass names, where he was like talking about the only Americans who have ever been able to get drum and bass right because it's such a British thing. And I just yeah. decided to believe that. <laughs> yeah. I, um, last year, there's like a best of 2021 albums. There was one that was like kind of like an electronic dance album, but it was this, but it had this Irish guy kind of like ranting over the top of it about like oh you sent being... me a video yeah yeah i i really like that he didn't he released an instrumental version of the album too which i am certain a lot of people would prefer <laughs> yeah um but that's kind of like what opens the door to like electronic music for me um, yeah and Jeff those songs a... oh yeah no what were you gonna say oh uh, those songs, when I listen to them without the the words, I kind of get lost a little bit. So maybe, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like I just don't, like I don't understand what makes it a song necessarily. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like I sound like an old man or something. <laughs> I like it. Like, I just don't understand it. I've been like studying Drexia forever. I feel like I sent you something, but they're like a Detroit. Yeah. Techno electro group. But yeah, I, I'm not pulling anything out of it that like inspires me to finish a song. Yeah. Just... I feel like I was thinking this just the other day, actually. I don't listen, like, I'm so detached from any sort of music scene, and I don't know how to make music myself. And so I feel like when we did Tim Blood, I was like listening to so much power pop as almost like research, like I was researching power pop for years or whatever. Totally. And, and kind of like to the exclusion of like so much other music. And yeah, for sure. Right now, now I just feel like open, like I can just listen and enjoy anything. Uh, and it's kind of nice. Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same. I feel like my listening has gotten better. Or I don't know yeah. if better is the right word, but I still will obsessively research stuff, but now just nothing seems to come of it. Yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, nothing, like, I researched power pop and I never learned how to, like, write or sing a melody, so not much came from my research. <laughs> but, <laughs> but <laughs> uh I was thinking but a yeah. lot of what worked about Tim Blood was us trying to do something we knew we couldn't do. Kind yeah, of or being inspired by stuff that had nothing really to do with what we were doing. Yeah, I think that's true. I always thought of us as like hardcore kids trying to do pop music. Mm -hmm. 
And, and I feel like tons of people do that, and they're more successful at being pop music than we were. But Yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh, um, like, we should, we don't have to stop talking, but if we use, if I use any of this for a podcast, um, <laughs> there should be a part where I say, we say bye or something. Um, oh, okay. That I can just, you know, splice in because people don't need to hear about, like, uh, <laughs> us just naming uh, alien movies. Yeah. So, <laughs> um uh so i'm gonna say uh thanks for uh talking about this book with me keith uh talk to you later bye sounds good bye bye, bye.